Hello listeners and welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast. I'm your host Ian McNally, the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything and this is the 10th episode. It feels like quite a milestone to get to 10 episodes. I'll talk a bit about that towards the end of the podcast but in the meantime we've got a cracking episode. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Chosen Brew Podcast. I'm here with uh, another bumper episode because we've got 12 beers to get through. I'm at Tall Boy and Moose and I've got Dan and Steve here. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Now, for the benefit of audio listeners, um, who's Tall Boy? I am Tall Boy, being Dan. <laughs> and that leaves you, Steve. As Moose. As Moose. The one with the Canadian accent. That helps, doesn't it? That's pretty easy to remember. So... Um, Welcome to the Chosen Brew, and tell us where where we are today, where we're sat. How did you get here? In a nutshell, uh, we're sat in our front office in our location at 270 Raglan Street in Preston, and we opened our doors to the public last October, and we took over the lease of this place in February of last year, so... Between February and October, we put together all of the... And jumped through all the hoops and over the hurdles and opened a brewery with a bar. So, yeah, there we go. And was that how... Like, that sounds a lot of responsibility and a lot of very involved. Um, was it? Was it? Did it feel like that? Or was it yes. most, mostly yes, excitement? It or <laughs> was it mostly 100%. excitement or tears? <laughs> there was a lot of excitement. Uh, there was a lot of... Uh, yeah, I guess you could say blood, sweat, and tears. Um, it was a, it is continues to be a big project. Uh, both Dan and I quit our day jobs and and jumped headfirst into this before drawing any kind of income from the business. So that applies quite a lot of pressure. Um, you can imagine, uh, especially for those of us that have a mortgage. Not that's not me, <laughs> but uh, that'd be me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that you know, there's a lot of pressure involved with that, and this is a big project with a lot of moving parts. So for two of us to take that on, um, I think we knew that we had to quit our jobs to make it happen, uh, to get everything done that needed to be done. But yeah, there's a lot of elements to a project like this. It's not just hanging out on Saturday, pushing through a homebrew. It's, um, you know, dealing with council and red tape and white tape and, you know, all kinds of tape. Yeah, <laughs> lots of tape. Have any of you, um, have you run your own business before? Was this the first time? Not in this capacity. So we were both brewing together as, um, as a small nano brewing project, which we did sell kegs. Um, and so, but it, we were both working full time as well. So it wasn't a viable business. Technically, like. we owned our own business um, and we had a real company, but it wasn't a, yeah, you know, it was a hobby business. Mm. Wasn't uh, your main source of income. You, you still had, it was, yeah. there was zero, there was no income involved. So it was, <laughs> it was us spending time um, making beers and, um, and feeling good about them being on tap here and there around Melbourne. Um, but that's pretty much it. And the batches were incredibly small and the beers were particularly quirky. 
um, lots of weirdo beers. And so it was more about having fun making beers rather than, and we do that here too. Um, but this is um, a, a more viable business model. Yeah. We might talk a bit more about those weirdo beers because that's intriguing. But um, do, do you have any, you know, obviously you've got each other, which is very romantic, but have you, uh, have you had any mentors or do you, did you just do this on the fly? Did you... Mm, big mentor for for me in Australia um, was Steve Hendo Henderson uh, of Brew Cult fame, and previously many many breweries across Australia. Um, so when I took the the plunge into full time brewing and working as a as within breweries, Hendo was someone who basically took me under his wing and showed me how to brew very good consistent beer on a commercial scale so he 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 took my i I would say fairly good knowledge in terms of a a home brewer but took those skills and transferred them up into a commercial scale so he was he was definitely quite pivotal for that and then prior to that there was a, a brewer that i spent a lot of time with in France, a guy called Stephen Skews of Le Brewery fame. Um, and yeah, he, he, he really, he gave me my first shot ever in the brewery world. And he was great fun. Um, but I'll talk a bit more about him later. Excellent. I feel like one of the choices is, uh, is brewing quite yeah. literally. So, yeah. um, that's great. So, we we're here in Tallboy Moose. Tell us a little bit. about what about people who haven't been here before? What can they expect when they walk through the door? So we're a big open concept space. So it's a big warehouse that's been converted into a bar and brewery. Um, it was total blank slate, empty, raw warehouse, and we've put lots of wood in. Um, obviously, lots of tables and, and a nice long bar. Uh, we have eight draft taps, so seven of those taps are our beers, and sometimes we have a guest, a local guest beer rotated on tap. Um, we also always have a cider on tap, on tap number eight. And with our beers, we have one beer that's steady, it's called Cream Ale, um, that's the style of beer. And so we brew that all the time, and it's always on tap. Everything else on tap changes around very regularly so uh, we have uh, another semi-steady beer which is a single hop pale ale every time that we brew it we put a different hop into it Uh, so we're launching tonight actually well i don't know when this podcast is going to (laughs) come out but only denali so denali is a new american hop that we've just uh played around with in 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 that beer everything else is I don't know if you'd call it a one-off. You know, our favorites will rebrew again, but a lot of them are new concepts uh, for us and, and beers that we've never made before and um, varying in style. So everything from Berliner Weiss to Russian Imperial Stout, although we haven't released either of those yet, we will, um, and everything in between. So choice one, obviously you're talking through six beers that changed everything. Yeah, so this is the first beer that flicked a light switch in my head and made me decide that I liked beer. And uh, I would have been relatively young. And in my youth, 
I didn't like beer. I I didn't think that it tasted that good, and I wasn't particularly fond. F- yeah, so um, you won't be surprised that the first beer that I in- decided that I liked is quite flavorless, and it's called Corona. <laughs> so uh, vacation in a bottle, jam a wedge of lime in there, and it doesn't really taste like beer at all. Um, so, uh, pretty, pretty easy going. And, um, in my youth, uh, I didn't, I didn't drink that much. So I guess I was a bit of a, a lightweight. So Corona was a nice, light, sort of easygoing beverage for me. Um, and, um, yeah, from there, you know, I, I dabbled a lot with, uh, macro lager. Um, I guess, I don't. I can't, I'm trying to think of what year this might have been, sort of in time frame. In the 90s, at some stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So I grew up in Toronto. In Canada, there's a very strange uh, liquor system. So in Ontario, there is what's called the LCBO, the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, and that's where you have to go to buy your booze. So there is one store. It's a government monopoly. So it's like the VCGLR in Victoria running every single liquor store. So you have to go to the liquor board to buy your booze. So in Toronto, you'd go to the LCBO, and they'd have wines from all over the world, and they'd have beers from all over the world, and they had a really great... um, uh, display of tall cans um, and um, so we would yeah mix and match all kinds of different beers often macro lagers um, now you go in and they have an excellent selection of craft beer uh, but back when I was dabbling um, I used to buy these tall tall I guess they were like one liter giant bottles of Corona and I wow. was <laughs> I was pretty happy with that in high school, people used to dabble with 40s as well. That's not really in a... That's not part of my selection today, so I won't go into that too much. But 40s are North American malt liquor, 8%, really disgusting, hard to choke down, and people would just get wasted for a for like four bucks. You get wasted with one 40-ounce bottle of 8% malt Snoop liquor. Snoop Dogg wraps a balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't want to go down that road too, too I'm just far, sort of so... Picturing you trying to, you know, hold on to a one litre stubby of Corona and dance at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of, I have to throw this in there, but people that uh, had, yeah, people with, with, you know, terrible values would play, uh, there's a party game called Edward Forty Hands. In, high, in like high school and university, <laughs> so okay. this would mean uh, you'd have somebody would literally duct tape, so they would uh, tape a forty to each hand, <laughs> crack them open, and you can only take them off when the bottles are empty. So two, how how forty ounce? Yeah, What's that? that's like a liter and a half, I think. Yeah, something like it's that. A lot. It's yeah. a so a liter and a half of eight percent alcohol malt liquor. I don't know how many standard drinks that would equal, but these people, it didn't turn out well ever. It's it's I never messy. did that. Oh, it's it's be it sounds yeah. like the world's strongest man competition gone horribly wrong. <laughs> that yeah. sounds more like a feat. There's a lot of funny little drinking games like that that came out in high school and university back in the day. 
Wow. Yeah. You gotta do something you gotta do something in Canada. <laughs> so yeah. Well so, <laughs> I've been, it's okay, I could <laughs> Um Well we'll head over to you, Dan. No and worries. Go for your choice. Okay, so I'm from the northeast of the United Kingdom, a little city called Durham. And very close to Newcastle upon Tyne. And you might be thinking, oh, I know where he's going with this one. <laughs> and yes, Newcastle Brown Ale did feature very heavily in my upbringing uh, and certainly brought me into the world of beer drinking along ironic, along with, ironically, absolutely bucket loads of Fosters. Because at one stage, Fosters was the macro lager in the UK and it was everywhere. So in the mid-90s, when I was first discovering beer, that was definitely, those were two beers that were important to me. Nuki Brune, because it was cheap. It was a pint bottle for a pound in most places, <laughs> which is awesome. And then cheap pints of uh, Fosters just everywhere. Um, but not a lot of people know that I'm also half Danish. So my first introduction to beer was um, through Danish lager, and in particular one called Tuborg Green, or Grün, as the... Uh, I used to drink a lot of Tuborg. There you in- go. 500 mil cans from the LCBO. Yeah. Well, again, Delicious. 500 mil bottles. So in Denmark, they they, they run on the whole... Uh, similar in South Australia, you take your bottle back to the supermarket, you get a refund on the bottle and, you know, you keep going. and makes makes it really cheap. But that was the beer that my parents, whenever we went on holiday back to Denmark and had the big parties with all the family back home, that was what they were drinking. And so my first experience of beer was Tuborg Green. And I have to say, still still hold a little place in my heart for it. My, I was back in Denmark last year uh, to get married, which was amazing. And that was definitely a beer that, again, featured heavily in, in the party. It's kind of a funny one. Um, I used to have a Danish girlfriend and she was kind of... She said it was the sort of beer that the the, the youth and the uh, the sort of impoverished student would go to, <laughs> rather than the Carlsberg. Carlsberg is more expensive, wow. and so Tuberg was always. So I guess it, it's probably of equivalent to something like Melbourne Bitter. Mm. You know, it's a beer that a lot of people hold dear to their heart, and but it's still got a bit of a rough and a more blue collar edge to it, rather than the full. You know, uh, what have you? Um, so. Here's our number three, just walking in. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so that, that was, that was my, my first choice. I just, you know, immediately when I was thinking, well, what is my first beer memory? And that was it. Cigars as well with that particular beer. I had a, a great uncle who every, every birthday used to send me a, a, a birthday card with Danish money in it, which obviously is really handy when you're, in, you're growing up in the UK, but re- very sweet. But he used to keep all his envelopes um, next to his cigar box. So all, all the, his, his paper and stationery all reeked of Havana's finest. So, wow. Yeah, funny little memories. So Yeah, that kind of takes the uh, blue collar edge off uh, the drink, doesn't it? The smell, the yeah, smell of cigars. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, he worked for a big, um, a big shipping company. Um, so I guess at one one stage he was he was sort of involved in more blue collar stuff. But yeah, it's just a great great memories um, and that particular beer. Along, yeah, again, along with 
absolutely loads of of, of schnapps, which the, the the Danes love as well. That was beer and schnapps is all about Denmark. So wow, yeah, it's funny that you bring up smoking cigars with your first beer choice because I have a very distinct memory of smoking something else with my first beer choice. And <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> planning on bringing that up, but it's too perfect. So there you go, yeah. <laughs> So, um, Steve, we'll go straight to your cho- second choice. Uh, yeah, so second choice, mm, not the same kind of macro lager, but still in that ballpark, if you will. So there is a very famous uh, microbrewery, I guess you would call it, or we used to call it a microbrewery, in Toronto called Steam Whistle, and they make Pilsner. And that's all that they make. So this is, you know, moving from, you know, the least flavor possible into something that has a little bit of flavor. Um, So Steam Whistle Pilsner is a very unique lager. Um, It's got a lot more hop character than a typical macro or uh, big lager would. And... um, it smells and tastes like stinky socks. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Yeah. Um, it's really unique. I've actually never come across another Pilsner quite like it. And um, it's this pungent hop character. I still don't know what, what hop they throw in there. Um, I should probably find out. But it's got this real stinky socks kind of smell and characteristic. And... and it's absolutely delicious. It, as, as wrong as that sounds, it's really, really nice. So they have this beautiful uh, brewery in downtown Toronto right next to what was formerly called the Sky Dome and is now called the Rogers Centre. So that's where the baseball games and things happen with the Toronto Blue Jays. And that's also right next to the CN Tower, which used to be the high, tallest highest freestanding building in the world but it's now been sort of knocked back by a few many times over yeah. I would have thought yeah, yeah. I think it's in like in you know 6th or ninth place something like that um, so it's in this really really nice uh, historical building that used to be a train station um, in downtown Toronto so they they called this um, brewery Steam Whistle and they make one beer and they pump it out and if you're in Toronto it's probably going to be on tap all over the joint well it is it's yeah it's well, all so over they, the place. they literally only brew one beer yeah, is that, yeah. And, but they've they've got it nailed yeah they they started um, it would have been in the 90s I think so it, it was early days it was pre-craft boom um, but there were a few, you know, craft beer at, at that stage was called like microbrewery beer. Yeah. Right. And so um, y- you wouldn't really see, you know, brew pubs necessarily, but you'd have these microbreweries. And, mm-hmm. and on the scale that we see breweries happening now, they're actually quite large and they're making a lot of beer. And um, yeah, they, they, they decided to create one beer and put all of their focus on that one beer and make something that was really, really easy drinking and approachable, um, but had a point of difference from your typical macro lager. And uh, they did that very, very well. I think they had a Czech brewer or and stay, still may have that same Czech brewer. Um, and 
yeah, I don't think he was interested in brewing anything else. If you look at some of the classic Pilsner breweries like Pilsner Urkel and these types of, of breweries, um, many of them make one beer mm. or one key beer. Um, I know they've done the odd event where they've had like an unfiltered version of their Pilsner and that's really special or, you know, a dry hopped cask of their Pilsner or something like that. But yeah, they just pump out steam whistle Pilsner. And, and that certainly doesn't sound like something that you, yourselves would, would like to do, given the uh, weirdo beers that you mentioned before. I mean, it would be pretty boring to come into work every day, just brewing the just brewing same, the same beer. thing all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's definite, there's definite joy to be taken from hitting the same numbers day in, day out. And I know there's plenty of brewers out there who would just be getting so excited by that. For me personally, nah, no way. I need to, there needs to be variety. And that's part of the reason why we went for this business model of having the brew bar where we could continually, you know, evolve and, and brew new beers. So, so given that second choice. Uh, my second choice uh, actually again is 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 a bit of a a weird one um with my revelation of being half danish i also have uh my mum's sister so my aunt uh, is from well she now lives in munich or just outside munich so when i was 15 i was packed off to munich to go and improve my gcse german uh and so my uncle god bless him uh the 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 very very lively chap that he was thought it was only appropriate for a 15 year old to be well versed in the bavarian culture of vice beer and so his particular beer of choice was schneiderweiss and that was a beer that really stood out for me. And and when I was young, having a beer, having a wheat beer was something very novel. It was definitely not something that was readily available in the UK at all. And to be challenged with those sort of tart, fruity notes and clove and bubblegum as a 15-year-old was just, it was mind-blowing. But a taste sensation especially you know given given by your uncle willingly and just say oh if you want a beer just go to the garage and help yourself and yeah i was you know kid in the candy store uh, so when when i came back from those holidays and like we all did with underage drinking it was it was really trying to find something equivalent and at that stage, the only beer really on the market that was sort of starting to penetrate into the UK was Hogarden. And so that also is a, has a real resonance for me, going and sitting in horrible, dirty pubs all across the Northeast, drinking pints of Hogarden from, I'm sure you can remember those ridiculous pint glasses. <laughs> they were so heavy. <laughs> they were so big. It was like a double-sized, really thick glass huge he almost needed two hands for it it was nuts so those those two beers so i kind of cheated there those two beers were definitely part of my growing up uh and 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 sort of discovering new flavors within beer as well and and sort of the blinkers starting to come off a little bit and thinking that there's there's more to the beer world than just 
pilsner and lagers and things like that so yeah that's where i kind of landed um so but anything really other than that (laughs) (laughs) well that's that definitely um the matilda bay um redback the wheat beer is has cropped up quite a few times on the podcast so far and i think definitely wheat beer is one of those that does think is one of the things that changes people's minds about what beer can be um steve third choice yeah so uh, i guess we're sort of traveling on a bit of a i asked dan before we started how he ordered his and he said chronological order so i quickly sort of roughly scribbled mine in that order as well so moving along in the beer journey um there was a you know steam whistle pilsner is a good example of adding a little bit of hop to, to a beer and my next selection is about adding a lot of hop to a beer um, so in my personal beer journey um, I started getting on the hop train and rode it all the way to the end uh, so um, there was a, a period of time in my life where the beer could not be hoppy enough I wanted more 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 and I started getting into home brewing, and I started making beers with a lot of hop character. And one of the beers that was very influential in this concept of, you know, you can never get enough hop into your beer is, I'm going to cheat and do the double suggestion as well, but the the beer is Dogfish Head 60-Minute IPA. And so um, one of the earlier sort of big... Uh, characters in american craft beer um really at the foreground of mega hoppy beers is sam caligione and his 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 stories about continuously hopping so he's got the whole the quick story is he had this uh this foosball machine that would shake and he would load it up with hops and let it shake hops into his kettle for the full hour of boiling that that beer and um it's funny i've had some conversations with dan about adding hops in the middle and he thinks it's a total waste of time uh because you don't get it's it's you don't get the utilization and you don't get you know that much aroma um so uh it, it was a very funny it's a it's an interesting concept and i guess can be argued but um as an early home brewer at that time, I thought it was amazing. And so um, Dogfish Head had just started pushing beers into Canada. And so for a significant period of time, I think that was probably my favorite mega hoppy beer. Um, and dog, what, what was dog, the percentage? In- so Dogfish Head 60-Minute IPA is uh, 6% alcohol and about 60 IBUs. Um, and they would boil, you, you typically boil a beer for 60 minutes and they would add hops continuously the entire way through. Um, yeah, so since that period in my life, I have, uh, I guess my tastes have pulled back a little bit and I'll, I'll talk about that more in 
with the next choice. But um, the other thing I wanted to mention with this selection is that um, when it comes to mega hoppy beers, fresh is best. And so uh, since that time in my life, I actually revisited Dogfish Head 60 Minute here in Australia, and it was absolutely undrinkable. Well, almost undrinkable. It was really... It, I. It was a bit old and it didn't taste very good. And um, and so it sort of ruined my memory of that beer a little bit. And, um, and so when I was thinking of that concept of like, you know, the classic mega hoppy beer, um, I was just thinking of, you know, when is a time in Australia where I had something that really, really impressed me to that same level and um, I was fortunate enough to drive past a brewery, wander in and pick up a four pack. And the brewer was over on the other side of the counter and said, oh, yeah, we just packed this off like two days ago. And it was a Reginald IPA from Blackman's in Torquay. And it was absolutely amazing. It was really, really, really good. And so even though there may be some really well-known breweries like your Stones and Dogfish Heads and Lagunitas and, and, and these, uh, these breweries that are so well-known for their hoppy beers, sometimes they don't hold up that well in Australia um, on the way over and um, you know, sitting around on, on shelves through a hot summer and, and, and that kind of thing. So I, I reckon when it comes to mega hoppy IPAs, um, local breweries uh, that have just packed them off a couple of days ago is the way to go. Yeah, it's yeah. a big ocean to cross, and I yeah. think that does diminish. It's you know, it does it makes it very expensive. You're going to refrigerate right across that ocean, yeah, as well. So, um, yeah, no, definitely local is best. Like Tallboy Moose, drink local. Um, <laughs> don't don't tell Farrell that we're using that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, treat it like milk. Yeah. Um, third choice then yeah so um my third choice stems a lot from where i ended up at university and i was in leeds and leeds is one of the principal cities in yorkshire um which i'm sure most australians have come across what with its rich cricketing history as well and um the beer that i chose was one that isn't brewed within Leeds, but just outside Leeds in a little town called Tadcaster. And the beer I've chosen is Old Brewery Bitter from Samuel Smith's. And the main reason I have chosen this one is because it is about the cheapest pint you could possibly get in the UK and still to this day is probably still. Uh, So when I was a student and moving away from macro-brewed lagers and Hogarden, uh, we were looking for good beer, not necessarily local, but very competitively priced. And Samuel Smith's is one of the, the few breweries in the UK that still has an estate, so they still own I think it's over 200 pubs all across the UK, which is now pretty much a thing of the past. Mm. Back in the day, that's what every brewery did in the same concept that we have. If you control your own taps, you're going to have 
better returns on your on your product. So Samuel Smith has retained all of its all of its pubs and they continue to grow. And they have a very, very cool business model in that they are very traditional to the old sort of Victorian style of pub culture in the UK. They play no music in their uh, in their pubs, and it's just all about good, well made, honest beer. And the brewery bitter when I, the old brewery bitter when I was a student was in some of their pubs was less than a pound a pint. Wow! And as a student, you just can't go wrong at that kind of price. So that, that is cheaper than milk. It uh, is it? It almost was <laughs> yeah. And and the great thing is, I ended up then moving to York when I was a bit later. So York's even closer to Tadcaster. And I was fortunate enough to go to some of the pubs just outside York in the small villages in the, in the wold of Yorkshire. And they still get their beer delivered by old, you know, horse and dray um, to, to their pubs. So literally you have the Shire Horse, the Drayman, all the oak barrels, a lot of their beer still ends up in oak um, in the pubs. And the beer is just unbelievable. Going back now and having a much better appreciation of what beer is about and how beer is made and, and tasting um, those those beers, you just, you're blown away. They've had such an amazing signature flavour. A lot of it coming from the fermentation methods. So they're, they're brewed in Yorkshire squares, still stone slate squares and you know there's so much so many things wrong about a a yorkshire square but that just provides so much flavor to the beer and then the fact that they're aged in oak barrels i mean oak aging is like and barrel aging beers is suddenly really bang on trend but that bit that brewery's been doing that since time ad infinitum that's that's just the way they do it and you can you can taste there's a there's a bit of lactic there's a bit of bread there's a bit of funk going on in these beers and yet that's just that's the flavor and that's something which i've just grown up with and yeah a real real nostalgia kind of wow that that's a beer when i was just yeah loved that beer so much and it's still there it's still going they're still going strong so if whenever you get back to the uk hit up the samuel smith's pub you will not be disappointed yeah and clearly accessible you know clearly incredibly yeah they're they're just really well made well crafted beers all the landlords in the pubs know how to look after that style of beer and and look after the, the the patron as well so you're in for a good time in the Samuel Smith pubs, definitely. Um, wow. They're great beers. That's great. And um, we'll, we're at the halfway point. We've been through our three beers each. And um, where, where are Tallboy Moose headed? Are you trying to just cut out a niche in Preston? I think at the moment we are really concentrating on making sure that we service our local community well. And... From everything that we're, we, the, the feedback that we've been given by our locals, they seem to think that this is a, a, a really good place for them and their families to come to. So at the moment, we're just sort of, we're, we're building the foundations of a new business. We're trying to find our feet in the marketplace. Uh, but particular, our particular focus is definitely to look after our locals they're they're the most important thing to us at the moment and we want to make sure that they're they're happy and they keep coming back because without them 
uh, we wouldn't have a business. It's as simple as that. Uh, we we sell so little beer outside of these four walls that if people didn't come and drink direct from our our eight taps on the bar, we we wouldn't we wouldn't be sat here. Put it that way. So and, and so, um, given that you don't sell a huge amount outside of um, of your own venue, uh, you're at the Melbourne Beer, Good Beer Week Gala. How did that go? Is is it kind of like you're trying to get um, recognition um, and trying to get a bit of visibility and all yeah, those sort of things? It, it was really interesting. Um, there were a lot of people that hadn't heard of us and that didn't know that we existed. And so that was definitely one, one reason why we wanted to be there. Um, we want people to know that we exist and to come to our venue and, and check us out or, you know, ask for our beers at their local pub and, and that kind of thing um, or their local beer bar. Um, but a lot of the people that came through uh, wanted to try the beers. So they didn't know who we were or what we were all about or some people did, but they hadn't had the chance to try our beers yet. So they wanted to have a tinker. Um, we tried to play with uh, unique styles of beer so our flagship that i mentioned before our cream ale is a style that not a lot of other breweries in australia are making it's a north american style of beer it's very clean and crisp and easy drinking and it has a uh, a slight hop element to it so there were a lot of people that had never tried a cream ale before and they wanted to know what that tasted like uh, so we always have people asking questions about that beer. Um, we also had our mini Northeast IPA. So it's called Honey, I Shrunk the Northeast IPA. Northeast IPA is a newer sub-style of IPA from the New England and Vermont area in the U.S., the northeast of the states. It's very cloudy and juicy and and is the flavor of the month at the moment so there's a lot of action on the internet around this particular style of beer so there are there seem to be a lot of breweries in australia tinkering with the style but there are a lot of people that have never had one so so there were quite a few people coming up to us wanting to try that beer because they may have read about it or heard about it but they didn't realize that or they hadn't had the chance to try one yet. So they were interested in ours. Um, yesterday, actually, we just brewed another Northeast IPA with our friends over at Carwin Cellars uh, with a massive amount of wet hop uh, galaxy that had been picked and shipped overnight to us for our brew day. So yeah it was it was it was a cool event um and it and there was a lot of interest yeah i think uh, one of the things that makes uh tallboy moose stand out is definitely the names of the beers um cream ale is just something you don't see um as the description generally you don't come across it and also the euro pale i think um that description which is a is belgian yeast right? that's right yeah belgian and british so it's a intercontinental beer and kind of taking yeah european and and british influences so the euro pale was steve and i came up with that idea so that we could still call it a pale because pale ales just sell <laughs> so well and and also a good descriptor for what the beer actually is it's 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 got 
European and 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 British influences. Yeah, so. and I think uh, Tallboy Moose. I think you you know you you are utilizing the knowledge of the European with yourself, Dan, and and Canada. And uh, I'm here today. We're making the podcast in Australia, so we should be getting a grant from the Commonwealth somewhere. I think absolutely. But, um, we um, we'll go on to choice four. So, Steve. Yeah. So my fourth choice is. Uh, what I what I alluded to before is sort of taking a step back from mega hot bombs. Um, there was definitely a significant period in my my beer drinking career where I only wanted hops and always wanted more hops, and that eventually ended. Um, I still like hoppy beers. Uh, but I have more appreciation for balanced beers uh, these days. And um, I, I do think that there is sort of a limit to what's enjoyable in terms of a, a hoppy beer. Um, I'm also a, a lot more picky about the balance of mega hoppy beers, I guess. So um, I tend to appreciate balance more. And one beer that... To be honest, sadly, I didn't really think much of it for a while. And one day I was drinking this beer uh, because I was, well, I'll explain that shortly. I was drinking (laughs) this beer and I was like, holy crap, this beer is actually pretty perfect. Um, And that's Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. So I don't know why, but for some reason... I just didn't, it just didn't impress me. Um, and I had tried it in the States and I had tried it, um, you know, in Australia. And I ended up getting a job for a beer distributor that distributed Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And as a consequence, I ended up selling a massive amount of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale on a regular basis. And, um, and so, you know, I, just had it around me a little bit more often i would do weekly tastings in bottle shops and and so i'd you know be tasting it here and there and um yeah one day it just hit me like a ton of bricks like this beer is incredible um the balance in that beer is like no other it's actually perfect um it's got really really unique uh hop characteristics that you don't find in a lot of other beers it's got a really interesting sort of spicy element to it um there our company actually went over to the brewery in 2014 and uh we went for a tour and it was really strange we walked in there and it was like everyone was drinking the Kool-Aid. They were all brainwashed. They were all like so happy to be there and so happy for us to be there with them and showing us around. And I was like, this is just a bit much. Like it's, it was kind of weird. Like you walked into a cult, you know? Wow. And, um, and then after spending a couple of days there, it was like we were on the Kool-Aid too. <laughs> um, it, you could literally eat off the floor in that place. They produce like 78% of their own energy on site. They're incredibly green and environmentally conscientious and responsible. Um, their beers are near perfect, if not perfect. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's amazing what, what they've created. And so the pale ale is is obviously their flagship and and their prized possession um and when it comes to 
um, you know, a, a brewery that is a, a work in progress from where they started to where they've where they've come is is pretty amazing um and that beer is good representation of that their their quality control is insane um i was telling somebody the other day i i found some of their cans in first choice that were past their best buy date and they were like whatever half price or something so i bought a slab of it and it tasted like it had just come out of the brewery their their qual their quality control is so high that you can drink beer past its Best Buy and it still tastes absolutely amazing. So um, it's uh, yeah. So that beer's really impressed me and is the perfect example for you know coming back to drinkability and balance and uh, things that have a lot of character. Um, yeah. In in. You know, it's it's pretty much as perfect as you can get, I reckon. And Steve, have you found the uh, the version of Kool Aid for the Tall Boy Mustaf? Um, working on it. Yeah, <laughs> working on it. Uh, I'm really proud of the beers that we're making here, um, and I hope that our staff are proud of them as well. Um, we have a very quirky brew house, and it's 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 pretty awesome to see the process that we go through and um and the finished beers that come out are awesome they're super clean and uh and really tasty excellence well dan choice four choice number four so moving on from my time in yorkshire uh i ended up as working as an ecologist and there's still another story about Yorkshire I love Yorkshire it's one of my favorite places God's own country it's beautiful Mm, Um, and I ended up working on a bypass so I was an ecologist in the UK so uh, road and infrastructure jobs were very very hot on on my radar in terms of what I was doing and I ended up working on a bypass around a little town called Beedale and Beedale is about five kilometers from another little village called Massam and Massam is the home of not one but two incredible breweries in the UK uh, the first being Theakston's and the second being Black Sheep the funny little thing about those is they're actually both owned by Theakston's. So uh, do, two brothers both own the opposing breweries. So Black Sheep was set up, I think, in the 90s because Theakston's got sold to Scottish and Newcastle, which were part of another big, big, you know, another big brewery. So Black Sheep was set up as an independent and then Theakston's was bought back by the family. So both breweries are now owned by Theakston's, but they literally sit opposite each other uh, in this tiny little village pumping out thousands and thousands of barrels of beer. It's one. Of, it's, it's such a weird place. Massam is beautiful, and the beers there are sensational. The beer that I'm choosing is Old Peculiar. It is 
one in itself. It's the most strange, dark beer, probably a dark mild, but then it sits at around, you know, six, six something percent. Strong, yeah. It's a really strong, dark, old English ale. And it's old, peculiar by name and nature. It's very weird. It's very weird, <laughs> but it is delicious. And the reason I picked that beer is because the my my trip to Massam ignited or reignited i should say my passion for brewing with with every brewery in the uk particularly the traditional ones they all offer brewery tours and touring the theakston's brewery which is in a traditional victorian five-story brew house and seeing the processes behind that that's when i knew that's where i needed to be i need to be in amongst it and brewing beer again and then at the end of end of the the tour as you always end up in in the tap room and old peculiar on hand pull literally traveling less than 50 meters was was heaven in a glass heaven in a glass so yeah that 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 beer is is incredibly informative of and, and and really captures a moment of of when i decided that's that's where I need to be. This is what I need to do. Forget plants and animals. <laughs> forget forget building roads. I got to go and make some beer. So that that I'd been brewing since I was eighteen, and this is probably in my mid twenties. I was I was there, but prior to that, it all been you know kitten kilo kind of stuff, and that was the moment where I decided right, I've got to we've got to get to the nuts and bolts of this. We're going to make beer, and we're going to make beer the way that they did in that brew house. So we're getting into all grain, you know, all of the raw materials, and doing it all myself. So that was the the the, the light bulb moment for me in terms of where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do as a as a brewer, as a fledgling brewer, in, and and as a well, really, really got me back into home brewing in a massive way. So. And those, um, those, all those small pubs and breweries are largely brewing real ale, correct? And cask, not correct? Keg. Yeah. And there is a, a huge divide between cask and keg and camera and all of those uh, things oh, in the it's, UK. It's and it's massive. A bit, it's a big it's argument. Yeah, and I think it, it, it even penetrates outside of the UK. I would say craft beer drinkers globally are fairly aware of the the cask keg divide particularly with big companies like brewdog just provoking constantly the the camera lobby in the UK and to the point now where i believe camera have kind of they've kind of backed off a little bit and said look you know there is room in the marketplace for not only cask ale but keg conditioned beer and 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 really good quality ales lagers whatever that come from a keg as well yeah. So they've had to, you know, it, it, it's 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 a progression. It's the way the times have changed. So for them to be stuck in this 70s mantra of just the only real beer is beer that's pulled straight from a cask is backwards. And the whole point behind camera was to preserve a, a, a dying art and a dying a dying form of beer. But then to say that that is the only... Mm-hmm. legitimate form of beer is is it's hypocrisy so i think they've now started to i'm hoping they've now started to 
be a little bit more receptive to to those yeah i think they actually recently did a a huge national survey of all their members and what they what their expectations were and how they see beer and what they want to see in the pubs and so on um and obviously that that's uh, the big argument is actually craft has done what real ale didn't manage to do which was get all these small um localized venues popping up like Tallboy Moose, yeah. Um, in o- otherwise disused areas or industrial areas, yeah. And actually, that's the movements that Real Ale didn't manage to do, or Camera didn't manage to do. They did yeah. manage to preserve a lot of pubs and a lot of beer styles, um, but you, there also has to be that acceptance. But that said, Dan, yep. what I'm getting at is, any plans for Real Ale at Tallboy Moose? We actually have two. Not one, but two hand wow. pumps. So, yeah, one, both direct imports from the UK by myself and one of my good friends uh, from when we were homebrewing back in the UK. So the intention is definitely there. We have yet to pick a beer that will suit the dispense style. Um, I did actually have a play with, our, with degassed um cream ale the other day and if you're familiar which i'm sure you are with the kind of golden ale styles in the in the uk which become in the last sort of five to ten years have become very popular rather than best bitters mm. um it was tasting pretty good so who knows what is going to pop up on there but the winter is winter is here uh, you know and so we should be doing that kind of thing within the next few months, I would have thought. So watch this space. And if we thought that there was education needed around craft beer for the Australian consumer, education about flat <laughs> flat beer well, and yeah, warm uh, beer I, is also there as I well. Think, I think so. But then I think there's enough people and there's certainly enough expats in, mm. in our own local area, let alone Melbourne, that people can appreciate we we appreciate that that is a legitimate form of dispense and people are very excited when they when they see the hand pump on the bar it's like wow what's that when when's that being poured um so yeah i think i think education is is incredibly important but i think that there's we're we're halfway there already there's a lot of people out there who, who would be very excited if that or well, not if, but when that becomes an option for us. That that's me. Yes. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Steve, choice five. Yeah, so I am starting to move in a different direction here. So I've originally when I made this list, I sort of tried to make sure all of the beers were varied in style kind of my favorites of a few different styles uh a few of my favorite styles i guess you could say and then i sort of whack them into chronological order so this is kind of skewing with the order a little bit but um my favorite sour beer ever is from the best sour beer brewery ever uh which i know has been mentioned on the podcast before but Cantillon out of Belgium is a pretty special place. Uh, they have a very unique process of brewing lambics, lambic beers. I was going to say lambic style beers, but they are lambic beers. Um, so they are uh, wild ales. They collect wild yeast out of the air, um, and they they don't actually pitch. Uh, yeast culture like a typical brewer would 
um, they have a barrel stock, so they they pump their their fin- when they're done brewing and the beer cools off in their cool ship, um, which is a giant shallow vessel uh, that they use to cool beer overnight in the winter. Then they pump beer into barrel stock that is just brimming with bacterial cultures. Um, thousands of cultures of varying bacteria, uh, a lot of um, Lactobacillus, Pediococcus, Britannomyces, etc. Plus, 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 and and many many different uh, variations of those bugs. So my favorite uh, beer from Cantillon is called Saint Lambinus, and this is you don't see it around too too much, but every once in a while it'll come through um, in Australia. It is a lambic sour beer that's been blended, I believe, with Merlot grape must. So uh, I don't know if they put whole fruit into the barrels. They might. Um, so it's, it, it is very... Lambic style beer in the first place is kind of on the edge of wine characteristics. This is very much taking a full step into wine characteristics wine flavor and wine wine uh, characteristics so it's pretty pretty special beer and, um, and what um how what year were you did you have your first uh not that long ago actually the first time i tried this beer would have been yeah maybe maybe three years ago something like oh, that it was in australia mm. um and and i had tried a few different sour beers and and there's a lot of sour beers coming into the marketplace these days um a lot of them are pretty tasty um but the lambic style is special because of the the time and process that goes into it so most lambic beers take somewhere between one and three years to make and uh a lot of the traditional belgian lambic brewers will say that a beer needs a full winter and summer season in order to to develop properly. So you're talking about a, a significant amount of time and effort that's gone into this uh, product. And um, there are some excellent, excellent Lambic-style beers uh, in Australia. I think the best that I've ever had is probably from Boat Rocker. They did a beer called Brambic, mm-hmm. which is their Brayside style Lambic or Brayside Lambic style beer. And it was pretty awesome. But um, yeah, St. Lambinus is mental. Like it's just like <laughs> nothing else I've ever tasted. It's really, really, really cool. Yeah. Fantastic. Choice five, Dan. So you may have noticed thus far that a lot of my beers have been focused around real ale and um yeah so when when i became so well less impoverished less you know student like um you start to develop um interest in other beers and 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 other other things so particularly in the uk um i was 
going out to pubs and things and often real ale still or any kind of ale wasn't wasn't around so you were confronted with the choice of what what kind of beer can can you get instead and in certainly in the sort of late 90s early noughties all around that time a lot of czech lagers were starting to come across so things like budvar star Praman, and pilsner urkel they were all big prominent features on on my radar and i was like well this is actually pretty tasty really good well-made pilsners you, you know not cheap macro produced yes they are macro produced but they're just incredibly well they're they're pilsner from the heart of pilsner so Mm. they're really really good um but yeah i remember one particular occasion going to a a dirty little dive bar down in a in a in a basement called cellar bar in leeds and coming across a tap that i'd never seen before i was thinking what the hell is this you know this is really weird and having a bit of a chat with the 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 guy behind the bar and he was like yeah yeah something that's just just come over from north america and you know it's it's really interesting packed full of flavor probably nothing you've had like it before and i was like, all right so yeah the the uh the the little badge was green had very uh, familiar writing it had a nice a picture of a, 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 I think it's a river or something like that, flowing through some mountains, and yep, it's Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. So that was the beer that put me onto hops. It was that that blew my mind, having come from very restrained hop character in real ale, to, and and then obviously through vice beers wheat beers and and you know macro produced lagers and pilsners to then being put you know this is a hoppy hop forward pale ale you will have had nothing like this in your life before that was that was incredible i have to say the first time i tried it i was like well in that bar first sip oh my god what on earth is this disaster of a beer how how on earth can can anyone be paying good money for this but you persevere as with everything in life and it it was it was incredible it would really the more 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 i drank the more and more i had nothing to do with the alcohol but the more i enjoyed it and uh, it was that from that moment definitely it was like well let's let's turn on the hops so and it was difficult you had to hunt around and look for all kinds of uh um, bottle shops and esoteric little bars and all that kind of stuff to find anything that was imported from the UK. So that's where my home brewing was was pivotal, and I was really falling back. Okay, well, if I can't buy them, let's make them. But even then, a lot of the the, the good North American hop varieties were a bit few and far between in the home homebrew shops. So. The, the closest things that I was then falling back on was I was going to good, well-made and hop-forward bottle-conditioned beers in the UK. So things like Hotback Summer Lightning, which is which has always still got a, a, a very special place in my heart for it, partly because you could harvest the yeast and use it as free yeast, bottle-conditioned, perfect. And the other one which I, uh, I, I thought... I was thinking about is that for a while, bizarrely, Tesco's was selling Worthington White Shield, which is a classic IPA. 
this is this is Burton on Trent's finest. And if you've not had it, it is a beer to try before you die. It was brilliant. Again, bottle conditioned, a proper British style IPA, round full of hops. Yes, of a of a British slant but still very hoppy so but sierra nevada pale ale that was that was set me off on the journey into the hoppy unknown definitely excellent now you've done very well both of you i am going to ask you in a second just that um after your last choice to also choose a beer snack to accompany those six beers and a vessel that you're going to drink them out of so um steve your last choice number six yes so uh back on the uh varying styles i was trying to think of a darker beer that i enjoyed quite a lot and i think that you know there are a lot of stouts and porters and brown ales that are very very enjoyable but i think one of my favorites if not my favorite iteration of dark beer is the Black Lung series from Moondog. So it's super, super tasty, very full-on. They add a good whack of smoked malt. Dan's actually brewed some of them. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, it was... It is. I haven't had one in a little while, actually. They don't usually hang around too long, so you kind of snap up a bottle when you see one, and then it disappears. So hopefully there's another round coming up this winter. I reckon there'll be a release coming soon. Yeah. It'll be, it'll, um, yeah. They're to the higher ends of uh, percentage-wise. Yeah, it's yeah. about 8%, I think, on, on yeah, the black one. Yeah, usually they're around 8 9% alcohol, and it is a smoky... I don't know if they're peated sometimes, maybe. Uh, smoke malt imperial stout... Uh, that is generally barrel aged so each iteration is is typically a different barrel so i think they've gone through cognac rum whiskey bourbon i think they've done a few different barrels yeah and you used to brew them because you work there that's right i did yeah sneak in at night no no i wasn't (laughs) sneaking in and doing all the hard work for them for free no i i did used to work on moondog in in the very early days they'd only been going for 10 months when I came on for about a year uh, while they were sort of transitioning between uh, their day jobs and running the brewery full time. So that's where I brewed one iteration of Blacklung. Blacklung 2? It was Blacklung 2, yeah. That was the best one, I, I thought. Well, it's funny <laughs> you should say that. I mean, you know. So, Dan, choice six. Choice six. Last one. Last one. So, I alluded to earlier that um, one of my mentors in craft brewing was, and, and, and brewing was a guy called Steve Skews. And the reason I mentioned that is because I ended up working in his brewery in northern France just before I came to Australia. And he, he was a quirky Brit from Peterborough. And he decided... It, to his folly, probably more than anything else, that the French really need to get on board with cask ales. Funnily enough, the French didn't really think that they needed to get on board with cask ales. So he, he, he made the right choice and had a couple of pubs to distribute his own beer to. But um, he took 
me in and as a brewer as an apprentice brewer and, and let me tinker around on his brew house in Normandy in an old cider farm and one of the beers he produced was a milk stout and I'd never had that before so we actually ended up taking the the brewery and and all of his beers to one of the biggest beer festivals in Europe at Mondial de la Bière. So this is a Canadian, um, Canadian French Canadian beer festival that they exported to France uh, for, and I think they still run it there. Um, but it was right on the French German border, so they were bringing in, you know, Belgian brewers, some not that many German because small breweries don't really exist in Germany yet with all the purity laws and what have you. But a, a surprising number of French, and then obviously a lot of British brewers and brewers from uh, Scandinavia as well. Mm. And at that festival, it, I was introduced to uh, a. a a wonderful bunch and crew of people from Montreal and they were from a place called Brasserie Dieu de Ciel um, which and there was a particular beer that they they said you have to try and it was one called Route des Epices which is my sixth and final choice so this is a rye beer made with black peppercorns and fresh green peppercorns so the spiciness of the rye really plays off the freshness of the the green pepper and that sort of that heat of the black pepper as well and that was a light bulb moment for me because it was uh it was where i thought well what else can you put in beer you know beer doesn't need to be limited by malt hops water and yeast so that kind of led me to start experimenting with a lot of different uh, ingredients in beer, which brings us full circle back to those weirdo, wacky beers <laughs> that Steve and I started brewing, uh, because that was really my inspiration for the sort of the the prelude, if you like, to to make beer um, was. That the, the the that particular beer from Dieu de Ciel, so that that put me in in the mind of well, you know, I want to put chamomile into a beer. I want to put sweet potatoes into a beer. I want to I want to see if 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 curry spices work in a beer. I want to do this. I want to do that. And that's that's what we ended up doing with the the previous incarnation of Tallboy and Moose was. Weirdo beer. Weirdo beer. What, yeah. what would camera say? <laughs> oh Jesus! They'd be turning in their grave. So, what was the uh, what was the strangest thing you you put in a beer, or the hardest to hardest to get hold of was the hardest? Well, to or get was hold it kind of, of you know the uh, rarest most, thing you'd most put on a beer? Of the stuff were, that we were using, we we did look at well, what what is readily available, what what tastes good, and what might marry. Uh, well mm. with the flavor profile of beer um so i don't think there was anything in particular there were ideas that we had that we never executed because of the constraints of T tell us <laughs> i think well there was certainly certainly stuff to do with we, we were hoping to do a whole series with 
sort of more traditional Australian sort of bush bush foods and things like that. And at the time, because we weren't a real business, it was difficult and we only wanted very small quantities of things. It's difficult Mm. to get hold of, of, you know, all those, those kind of different ingredients. So we, we unfortunately had to dismiss that one. Um, Yeah, I think, I think we, we did plenty of quite bizarre stuff. Yeah. Rosewater. I don't know. Lavender. Lavender. Yeah. From my backyard. From your yeah. backyard. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. That That's a lot of fun. It I, was. I like the it imagination. Was. And yeah. it's it's good. To, you know, even if the thing that you don't brew, that might not work out, but it might give you an idea for something else, which is In, Absolutely. Process, yeah. It? It's all it's all part of a process and, and being able to build on, on, on your successes and failures. So. Yes. <laughs> that's very positive. Yeah. So, um... Talking of matching flavors, Steve, I'm going to come to you for your snack that's going to accompany your six beers. Yeah, I think one of my favorite, there's a lot of food that goes really well with beer, uh, but one of my favorites is Mexican food. I really like burritos and tacos. With with your Corona. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I guess that would work, I suppose, but... um, for some reason, yeah, I, I'm really into spicy stuff and big flavors, and uh, I per- am particularly fond of Mexican, and and Mexican executed well, uh, I should say. Uh, and in in Melbourne, you know, there's a few places doing it pretty well. So yeah, a good solid uh, couple of tacos or or a few burritos, and there's a lot of variety there. So um, even within that realm of Mexican, you can um you can pair a lot of different different types of beers so you know you could go with your your fish tacos with your sort of lighter belgian things maybe some saison something like that or you can go your mega spicy something rather with uh, a big ipa to sort of counter one another yeah excellent What's your vessel, Steve? What what are you going to drink all of these out of? Oh boy, I uh, this one I struggled with a little bit. At home, I have a little sort of. It's got a. It's, it is a beer glass. It's a short stem tulip type thing. Um, it is fairly bulbous, and it is good for you know swirling and smelling things and it works it works well um but i use whatever is in front of me most of the time you know i i I know the guys from ale of a time mentioned uh wine glassware i do that all the time often here in the bar when we're tasting beer out of the fermenter i always pull a wine glass because its shape is uh is perfect for smelling and and tasting it's really good um you know the the typical pot and pint works really well f- in terms of a, a service perspective. Um, they don't always work as well if you want to get wanky. You know, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to really get your nose in there, and um, and and they don't, they're not ideal, I don't think. But um, you know, they work they work well in a casual setting. There's no no problem with with that kind of glassware. Yeah, I'll drink out of anything. 
That's good to know. A shoe. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dan, your perfect, your snack to accompany. Well, I just, again, thinking back to pubs back in the UK, what, what was I eating? And, uh, you know, dripping sandwiches came to mind <laughs> and, you know, bacon, bacon frazzles and scampi fries and, you know, things like that. But then I was just thinking, well, and I'm going to be a bit grim here, but do you know what really, really I used to love? There was a pub here just outside Leeds in a place called Kirkstall Valley called the Abbey Inn right down on, 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 the, on the river there. And they used to serve homemade uh, pork scratchings. Wow. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know whether uh, uh, the listeners in Australia really know what a pork scratching is, but essentially it's deep fried pigskin. Uh, with the fat still attached and it's it's pretty disgusting um, but there's something delicious about it it's salty the fat is rendered so it's gone all creamy and it coats the inside of your mouth and then you know just that that crunch as well from <laughs> it's pretty hard work it's it a- is yeah oh it's a it's a mouthful that's for sure and uh, it certainly is a, an artery stopper uh, but it just is a great beer snack because you know the 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 acidity in beer and and you know the flavors cut through all that fat and it's just and the salt oh, it's just it's great and it's also great. there's the jeopardy of kind of picking out a pork scratch and going i'm not sure this is either part of a pig or yeah. which part it's uh, from or yeah and if you're re- really lucky you end up with some hair or something like that <laughs> yeah like oh it's, yeah it's pretty pretty gross but you know it just reminds me of home so <laughs> and your vessel to drink the beers out of well again like steve i was sort of racking my brain of what, what do i drink from on a regular basis and that you know a regular glass but then i was thinking back to working in the brewery in france and the slant of the brewery there was it had a sort of norman conquest medieval theme to it and so the brewer had a fine collection of um beer horns (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah hollowed out cow horns which were traditional drinking vessels all across northern europe saxony vikings they all used them and i guess the reason being is that you know you had to once it was full you couldn't put it down so you just had to drink it all so um yeah why not a, a beer horn let's go with that excellent i was not expecting that so no that, problem that's the, that is the always a good choice if you're not i actually it. went to a metal gig a while ago with this viking metal band so they all their songs are about norse mythology and they're called amon amarth really really great band um and uh and this their lead vocalist i should say he didn't do much singing but their lead vocalist um would always he had this massive he was massive he had a giant gut and he had a horn that he would drink out of on stage and he actually had a holster on yeah, his belt for his horn as yeah, well so that. he would uh <laughs> that's yeah. cheating yeah. that's yeah. cheating that is a niche industry horn holster makers that's yeah, right totally but steve dan thank you so much for making the time today to be on welcome. the chosen brew it's been so entertaining um thanks very much great to chat thank you very much too you're more than welcome So that was it, Dan and Steve from Tall Boy and Moose. 
a very appropriate 10th episode, an absolute bumper packed one. And as you can tell, two guys there who get on very well, passionate about what they're doing. And if you go down to the brew pub in Preston, it's really impressive setup. They've taken what was a fairly decrepit building as a mechanics and with an oily floor and made it into a really welcoming family space. And they get lots of food trucks down there as well. And this was the 10th episode of the podcast. So it feels like quite a milestone for me to get the first 10 done. I think the first 10 are always the hardest to do when you come up with the idea and then you've got to try and recruit people to trust you um, to actually come on and be guests on the podcast and trust that you're going to show them in a good light and edit them appropriately and all the rest of those things. Um, But a big thanks to... Um, the generosity of the guests that I have interviewed so far and the warmness and how welcoming they've all been it's been fantastic so far I've really enjoyed it I hope you're enjoying listening too Uh, if you'd like to give me some feedback good or bad mainly good then uh, please email me uh, thechosenbrewau at gmail.com or you can get in touch via the contact page on my website which is thechosenbrewau.com you can also follow on the social media twitter at the chosen brew um, instagram or facebook as well thank you for those people who have liked the facebook page so far we're quickly approaching triple figures so that's very exciting in the next episode i'm speaking to andrew giorgio from fury and son so here's a little clip that might wet your whistle. Just a hop bomb. Just love it. Just flavour all the way through the, the hop character, the I guess the the balanced uh, malt profile with, with the what hops are going on there. It's just a delicious beer. So thanks again for listening to the Chosen Brew podcast. Make sure you share it with your friends and rate it on iTunes and all of those nice things. And this goes out at the start of Good Beer Week. So if you hear my voice or you see me around, then please do introduce yourself. I'd love to talk beer over a beer. So until next time, take care of yourself and I'll speak to you soon. Mm -hmm.